So, if anybody ha- does not have the place, we are up to the first word in the Masechda, Daf Beis, Omar Aleph, page 2a, in the brand new Masechda for us, Masechda's Beitza, or Beya, depending if you're from Eretz Yisrael, or Chutz Laaretz, all right? Now, Masechda's Beya, Masechda's Beya, um, is going to focus primarily on Hilchas Yamtif, the laws of Yamtif. The first parak of our beautiful Masechda is going to particularly focus on the laws of Muktza. All right? Now, as we know, we're familiar with the laws of Muktza. There are certain things that on Yamtif and on Shabbos are not allowed to be moved and handled. And there are various categories about Hilchas Muktza. Some things are Muktza on Shabbos, and they're not Muktza on Yamtif. Most things are Muktza both, yeah, both on Shabbos and on Yamtif. Um, there are also various categories within, uh, within the laws of Muktza. There's different ways that things become Muktza um, and different levels. Of Muktza. Now, what does Muktza even mean? So, Muktza means set aside. It's set aside. I'm not allowed to make any sort of personal use from it. Okay, Muktza, it's set aside. Now, so generally, something that I specifically want to use and it's meant for Shabbos and Yom Tov use is not going to be Muktza. It's not set aside for me. It's meant to be used on Shabbos and Yom Tov. So, for example, if you have a beautiful stone that sits on your buffet table as some sort of heirloom, some sort of way you're showing it to others, that stone sitting on your buffet table is not going to be mukta. It's set aside for, specifically for use. It's for use. But if you find a stone in the street, that's mukta. It's set aside for me. It has nothing to do with me. Okay? Now, one more point by the way of introduction as we enter our Mishnah concerning the laws of Muqtza is that we're going to find throughout our Masechta and we find in other places in Shas as well, there's a big machlaikas about um, how something becomes Muqtza. Is Muqtza a very narrowed, um, is it a very narrow and we're going to call it easy relaxed um, rule, meaning most things are not mukta unless you specifically set it aside. That's the opinion of Rabbi Shimon. Rabbi Shimon holds that unless you like don't or can't use it, it's not going to be a mukta. And the other opinion is more bro- uh, more broad and more inclusive that more things can be mukta and are mukta unless you specifically set it aside for Shabbos and Yom Tov. All right? That's how we're going to introduce it. There's obviously more, but I don't want to get into TMI. I don't want to do too much information and overload our brains. If this is a brand new Masechta with some of these in Yonim are brand new for many of us. So if we don't have mamish absolute clarity as we read Daf Beis because we're not so comfortable yet, with various inyanim, it's okay. We're going to pick up and become more fluent in in the, in these ideas as we move through the Masechta. All right, here we go. Daf Beis Omer Aleph says the Mishnah. Listen to this. Beitza shenol de biyomtiv. 
you have a beitza, you have an egg that came out of the hen on Yomtev. Is this egg muktza or not? Now, when Yomtev started, he didn't even know about the egg. The egg wasn't even in the world. It wasn't in existence, or was it? We'll see. Okay? What's the status of this egg? Beishamai Aymrim Te'achel. Beishamai says, you are allowed to eat the egg. It is not muktza. An egg that is laid on Yomtev is regular food. It's food. And food on Yomtev is not muktza. Beishamai Aymrim like Te'achel. Beishamai says nothing to it. It's muktza. You didn't have access to it when Yomtev started. It's Nailad. It's a new entity that just came about. And you're not allowed to enjoy it for your Yomtev Suda. Okay. The Gemara is going to explain what the background of the Machlekes is. But there's two more disputes in our Mishnah. Dispute number one is the name of our Mesechta. Mesech is Be'ya. Okay? In Eretz Yisrael they say Be'etzer. Be'shamayim, Be'shamayim says, Sa'ar Be'kezayis. Be'shamayim says, another Machlekes, yeah? How much yeast agent, the way they used to make yeast is by fermenting dough. Okay? And turning that dough itself into a yeast for other doughs to leaven. So, Beishamai says, Sa'ar Bikazayas, how much leavening agent um, are you going to be, uh, is it forbidden to own? Okay? For Bayira, Bayimatse. So, it's the size of an olive. The chametz, and when it comes to chametz dikkah bread, not the leavening agent, but the item that is leavened itself, the, the dough itself, that's kaisev. That you're not obligated until you have a larger measurement, which is the size of a date. Bisol says, eyes. Either way, whether it's the sa'ar, the leavening agent, whether it's the dough that's being leavened, you only, you're chayab as soon as you get to a kezayas. Now notice, right, interestingly, we're familiar with disputes between Bishami and Bisol. Generally, Beis Hillel is the more lenient one. So far in these two cases, it's Beis Hillel is coming across as the more strict one. In case number one, Beis Hillel says you cannot eat the egg on Yom Tif. And in case number two, Beis Hillel is saying you're chayav as soon as you own a kazayas. While Beis Shammai says you're not chayav until you have the size of a date. Okay. Third machlekes of the mission. Fascinating, fascinating halacha. Ready for this? The Torah tells us that when you shecht a chaya, a undomesticated animal, now why are you shechting it? Most chayas are not kosher, true. But uh, some of them are. Right? For example, a buffalo. A buffalo is a kosher animal, but it's a chaya. A deer, tzvi, it's a kosher animal, right? The halacha is, if you shecht a chaya or a bird, you have to cover the blood with earth. Are you allowed to shecht on Shabbos? No. Are you allowed to shecht on Yomtev? Yeah. Because it's part of Ochel Nefesh. It's part of the Torah permits me to do things the same way I'm allowed to cook on Yomtev for food. I'm allowed to do things that are involved in the preparation. I'm allowed to shecht an animal. See, here's what happened. I want venison. Venison is deer, right? Yeah. I want venison, fresh venison for my Yom Tif Sa'uda. So 
I want to shecht an animal that's going to be obligated and uh, I'm going to have to cover it. Are you allowed to shecht that animal? Yeah. Are you allowed to dig up the ground, though, to cover the blood? Ah, now we got a problem. Right? Because one of the 39 malachas is digging, plowing, right? You're not allowed to, you're not allowed to mess with that. So here we go. You're allowed to dig up the earth to cover your, your biblical obligation of covering the blood. Basil says he's going to be strict again. Basil says like this. Really, you should not do that. If you don't have prepared earth to cover your blood, you are not allowed to shecht. However, don't shecht in the first place. However, umaydim, they'll agree. Shem shachat, let's say you did shecht the animal. You shouldn't have. But let's say you did. You can fulfill your biblical obligation of taking a shovel and covering it. Because, ready for this? This is a statement that seems to have nothing to do with anything. The ashes of an oven are not muktza. Okay, now if you read the words of Beis Hillel, it seems like they lost concentration of what they're talking about. Right? It seems like they just jumped from one topic to the other. Right? They said, oh, if you shecht an animal, then you're allowed to dig because the ashes of an oven aren't muktza. Shaykh is. We don't know yet. The Gemara will have to explain. All right? All right. Now we get into the Gemara. Let's give a quick review of the Mishnah. The Mishnah taught us three, three different disputes between Beisil and Beisham. Number one is when an egg comes about on Yom Tif. says, eat it for Yasuda. Beisil says, nothing doing, it's muktza. Number two is, how much leavening and bread are you chayav for owning on Pesach? Bishamai says, leavening a kezayis, bread a, a date. Bishamai says, either way it's a kezayis. And then the third machlaikas is about when you shech the chayav on yantif, whether you're lechatchila, allowed to do that and dig with the earth. Bishamai says, you're allowed. Bishamai says, you're not allowed. Those are the three disputes. Then we have this last statement of the Mishnah that, by the way, the ashes of an oven are muchan, are considered prepared, and they're not muchan. All right, fine. That's an overview. Let's get going. Says the Gemara, let's focus on case number one, the case of the chicken and the egg. What came first, the chicken or the egg? All right. B'mayaskinon, what type of chicken are we talking about? The empire chicken, yeah? Ilema, yeah, you know that one. You know that joke? This, it was a, there was a chutzpahdik, a, par, a parakeet that uh, kept talking back to its owner. And the owner's trying to get this parakeet to zip it. And b'chutzif, mamish, you know, uh, always, always very not nice. And first he, um, you know, locks him in the bathroom. Then he, like, he says, you, par- you don't stop. You know, and every pe- time people come over, this parakeet would embarrass his, uh, his owner. Finally, one time he got so upset, he took the parakeet, threw him in the freezer, threw him in the freezer. Opened up 30 seconds later, and the parakeet's standing there. He's got his hat, black hat on, his talus. He's like, my dear owner, I'm at your service. I'm at your service. He's like, ooh, what happened? He's like, I just want to know what that empire chicken did. Here you go. One of my father's, my father's, my There you go. Different ways to say it. All right. 
chicken what type of chicken are we dealing with talking about a chicken that there's two there's two reasons why people have chickens why would two why would somebody own a chicken yeah two reasons number one for your suda number two for eggs so like this if you raise your chicken to eat the chicken is always considered food and it's not muksa. So says the Gemara, let's read this inside. If we're talking about a chicken that the guy, the egg came from a chicken. That was owned for the purpose of eating. So the chicken was meant for eating. The chicken itself is not muktza. The egg shouldn't be muktza either now that it came out on Yom Tif. My time I owed the Beis Hill. Why is Beis Hill being strict? The chicken was allowed. The egg should be allowed. It's food that's coming out of food. It must be that we're dealing with a chicken that was not meant for food. It's only there to make eggs. And therefore it's muktzah. It's not, it's not allowed to be touched on Yom Tif. It's only there for eggs. But one second. If it's made for eggs, my time went to Beishamai. Muktzah Why is Beishamai allowing me to eat the, the egg on Yom Tif? The chicken's muktzah, the egg is muktzah. Says the Gemara, no. You're having a mistaken approach over here. You know Why? Umay, kosho, what's your question over here? Dama Beishamai less to a muksa. It's not. Says the Gemara, maybe Beishamai does not agree with the extent that muksa goes to. Remember, we gave in our introduction that there's two ways to view muksa. Okay? One way to view muksa is that everything is muksa unless it's set aside specifically for me, for Shabbos Yom. The other way to view it is that nothing's muksa until I set it aside. And say, I don't want it. Okay, says Gemara, maybe Beishamai holds less little muksa. Maybe they hold. No, just because you have a chicken that's, that's meant for raising, uh, raising eggs, so what? They don't, they don't, it's not muksa. It's not muksa until you, you go out of your way, so to speak, to make it muksa. The Gemara says, no, yeah, that's why we ask those questions for Beishamai. The Gemara is responding, not necessarily so, because, and this, we're going to challenge this in a moment. But the Gemara is saying that maybe even if Beishamai has a broader view of Muktzah and says that things are not really Muktzah, or we'll call it narrower view of Muktzah, and say that Muktzah is a very narrowed down thing and you can't just expand it, maybe they'll agree that by the egg, which was Nailad, that first came about on Yom Tif, they'll be strict. Now what the Gemara is going to challenge in a moment is Nailad is a type of Muktzah, right? According to what we're saying right now in the answer, the Gemara is trying to differentiate between muktza and they'll be mako by muktza, but strict by, by nailat. Something that is first born and comes about on Yom Tif, they'll be strict over there. Right? The Gemara is going to challenge this approach. Let's see. Amar of Nachman, says, really dealing with a chicken that's meant for eggs. And muktza and go hand in hand. And if there's no muktza, there's no nailat. Ay, why does Beishamai lenient? Lachora, the chicken is not food, right? It's made for raising eggs. It should be muktzah. My time, my, uh, so what's the reason for Beishamai that they say it's not muktzah? Because Beishamai, Kareb Shimon, Ubisol, Kareb Yehuda. They hold like Reb Shimon, and Beishamai holds like Reb Yehuda. Uh, now, uh, now, what's this? What's the Zach of Reb Shimon, Reb Yehuda? So this is the machlekas about whether muktzah is narrow, or muktzah, in other words, uh, only a very narrow category of items become muktzah. It's not a, like anything's muktzah unless you set it aside. 
or is muktzah very broad and extends to many, many things. Okay? So according to Reb Nachman's answer, Reb Nachman says that Beishamai, who says it's not muktzah, it's because they hold like Reb Shimon, who has a very narrow um, and limited view of what muktzah is, while Beis Hillel, who's machmir, is going to be holding like Rabbi Yehuda, who has a broader take on muktzah and holds that many, many things become muktzah. Now, according, keep in, keep in mind the following. According to Rabbi Nachman, Beis Shammai is following Rabbi Shimon, and Beis Hillel is following Rabbi Yehuda. Now, we're about to blow this up. Says the Gemara, can Rav Nachman say such a thing? But we learned in a Mishnah. Very interesting halacha. Listen closely. And I want us to keep in mind as we read the Mishnah what happens with chicken bones once you finish eating the chicken. Is the bone food? No. So why isn't it muktza? Or is it muktza? Once you finish eating your chicken... Are you allowed to take a chicken bone off your table? Or how about this? Pistachio shells. You're sitting around after your uh, suda or in Eretz Yisrael, garenim, right, the sunflower seeds. Yeah? As soon as you're done with it, all it is is a shell. It's useless. You have no use for it. Okay? Keep in mind the, the, these situations as we read the Mishnah. But tonight we learned in the Mishnah. Uh, uh, good answer, right? So that's uh, the, what Rabiel is pointing out is that some people uh, enjoy sucking on the bone. So maybe even the bone has the status of food. As many people will, will bite it and suck out the marrow, right? Very good. So that would be a tzad lahakum. That would be a, one of the reasons why, yeah, that would be a reason to be lenient. You could say it's even still called food. Very good. Very good. That's one of the svaras brought down. But let's read this inside. Beishamayar Beishamay says, you're allowed to directly pick up bone and shells of nuts or whatever on Shabbos once you finish the food. Okay? Beishamah is lenient. says, You have to pick up the table and shake it off. They're basically, what Beis Hillel is telling us we need to do is what we call nowadays in halachic terms, tiltul min When something's muktza, you could pick it up indirectly. You could pick it up on something else. So it says, so if you have the shells, don't pick up the shells in your hand. Pick up the shells on a napkin. Pick up the shells on a... You know, you'll move it off. Holding something that's not muktzah and you put the, the shells onto them. The Omar of Nachman. Now here's the question. Rav Nachman says, Anu Yehuda. has to hold like Reb Yehuda. Ubeis Hillel has to hold like Reb Shimon. One second. Go back to the previous step. Rabbi Nachman said, Beishamai holds like Reb Shimon, and Beishelel holds like Reb Yehuda. And over here, Rabbi Nachman himself is saying, Beishamai like Reb Yehuda, and Beishelel like Reb Shimon. That's the strong question we have here on Rabbi Nachman. That's why we're bringing down this mission. Beautiful. Answers the Gemara. Omar Lach Rabbi Nachman. Rabbi Nachman's going to wiggle out and say the following. <coughs> Remember, by the Tarnagailus, okay, by the Tarnagailus, what are we dealing with? What are we dealing with? The Yamtiv. By the other ones dealing with Shabbos. Says of Nachman, and Amr Lachman, Gabi Shabbos, Azam Tanakir, Shimon, 
by Hilchis Shabbos, where the general rule is when you have a plain Mishnah, where nobody argues, we say the time is Reb Shimon, and we paskin like him, Ditnan. How do you know that? Because we learned in the Mishnah, you're allowed to cut up melons in front of an animal on Shabbos. Okay? You're allowed to, uh, we're not dealing with plucking melons, yeah, we, or cutting off melons, but you have, you have food that you're trying to uh, cut up for your animals. No problem. You could even cut up dead non-kosher meat for your dog on Shabbos. And we said that Beis Hillel follows the opinion of Rabbi Shimon. Because this is a Stam Mishnah. It's a plain Mishnah. Nobody seems to argue. Beis Hillel, uh, Beis Hillel is going to be following the opinion of Rabbi Shimon. But we now turn to the top of Omud Beis. When it comes to Elchaz Yomtev, where a plain Tana is, where a plain Mishnah is not the opinion of Rabbi Shimon, it's the opinion of Rabbi Yehuda, the Tanan, how do you know that? You're not allowed to cut off little pieces of wood from larger beams for firewood. Or from a beam that broke on Yomtev. We're dealing with a beam that was meant for building and either fell down or it came down, right? So, it's, uh, it remains Mukta. Mukum law, the Beisel Yehuda. There, Beisel follows the opinion of Reb Yehuda. So, there's our answer, right? Let's quickly review how, what just went down. Rav Nachman had a, we had a contradiction in Rav Nachman. In Rav Nachman's original statement, he seemed to imply that um, Beisel follows Reb Yehuda and Beis Shammai follows Reb Shimon. We asked on that, ah, you find by the bones and shells the opposite. Beis Hillel follows Reb Shimon and Beis Shammai follows Yudah. Reb Nachman knew you were still for a contradiction. And Reb Nachman's going to wiggle out and say, no, there's no contradiction. The Mishnayis that have to do with Hilchas Yomtif, there we follow Reb Beis Hillel follows Reb Yehuda. And the Mishnayis that have to do with Hilchas Shabbos, Beis Hillel follows Reb Shimon. It's not a contradiction. It just depends on which category of laws we're referring to, and that's who Beis Hillel is going to follow. Beautiful. That's the answer. All right. Now, says the Gemara. Michti. Let's see. Man sasme lemasnisen. What are these sasme masnisen? What are these plain mishnas? Now, let's explain. What's the word stam? Right is plain, simple. Right, when you have a plain Mishnah, whenever you find the word Stam Mishnah, what does that mean? There's no machlokas. There's no machlokas. Some Mishnayos we list the machlokas. Right, a Stam Mishnah means it's just the Mishnah says a halacha, and there's no discussion about whether that halacha is correct. If there's no discussion we're going to assume that that's the halacha. Otherwise, somebody would have said something. Right? If you have a Mishnah written, and a Tana is arguing, we would say a Tana argues. If a Tana doesn't argue, we're going to assume that that's the halacha. Okay, so now, Mukti, let's see. Man sasmi lemastisim. Who wrote the stam, the plain Mishnais? Who authored Mishnayis in general? What's the answer? Rabbi Yaakadosh. We know that. Right? Now, Mishnah Shabbos doesn't look at Rabbi Shimon, and Mishnah Yom Tov doesn't look at Rabbi Yudah. 
Says the Gemara, fine. We just said that by Hilchis, Shabbos, a plain Mishnah is Reb Shimon. By Hilchis, Yom Tif, a plain Mishnah is Reb Yehuda. But why did Rebbe HaKadosh do that? Why did Rebbe Yehuda Hanasi, when he put together Mishnah, when it came to the laws of Yom Tif, write write the plain Mishnayis according to Reb Shimon's opinions and write the plain Mishnayis by Shabbos according to Reb Yehuda. Why would he do that? This is not a challenging question. This is a curiosity question. Okay? What led to this happening? Amri, they said, Shab, beautiful Tzvar, listen to this. Beautiful logic. Shabbos dechamira v'layosi lezolzuleba. Let me ask you a question. What's more strict, Shabbos or Yom Tif? Why, why? Why Shabbos? Isn't there 39 malachas on Shabbos and Yom Tif? Because oh, you can't cook. Can't cook on Shabbos, cook on Yom Tif. Right? We all view Yom Tif like it's a Shabbos light. Right? It's like Shabbos. You get dressed up, but you don't need to finish cooking on time. Right? It's like chill out. And if it's a longer Yom Tif, you could be making with the showers. You know? It's like, it's a, we view Yontif like it's a Shabbos light, right? Oh, so it says the Gemara like this, beautiful. Shabbos that we all view, and really is in halacha, more machmir, and people aren't going to be mezalzel in Shabbos. They're not going to degrade and disrespect Shabbos. So Sosam Monk, Reb Shimon Demekel, Reb Yehuda, is willing to follow the lenient opinion of Mukta like Reb Shimon. We could be lenient on Shabbos when it comes to Muktzah. You're allowed to be lenient. We'll see why. It's actually better to be lenient. You can, we'll, we'll, we'll discuss that in just a couple moments. Okay? But Rabbi Huda is willing to be lenient by Shabbos. Because no one's going to come to mess with Shabbos. However, Yom Tif, to kill Vasil Yom Tif, which already it's like Shabbos light, people view it. Unfortunately, yeah, we don't, they don't view Yom Tif like it's the beauty of the meeting, the Maya that it is, the Klaus on the Ebishter, there he establishes the laws of Muksa, like Rabbi Yehuda, who is, uh, who is Machmer. Okay. Now, let's keep going, and we're going to explain. Yeah. Yeah. Correct. Let, let's keep reading, and I'm going to, and, and then we're going to dwell on it. Okay. Now, how do we establish the Mishnah? We said we're dealing with not a chicken that's meant to eat as chicken. We're dealing with a chicken that's meant to grow eggs. Why don't we have a discussion in the Mishnah as well about the chicken? It teaches us how lenient Beishamai is to B'nai Shari, who says that not only is the chicken itself makel, not Muktzah, even the egg, even the new egg that wasn't here when Yom Tov started is also not muktzah. I have a lift to give you Let's not argue about the egg, about the chicken, the hen. Why, don't, why, do we, why do we prefer to bring out the strength of Beis Shammai's leniency instead bring out the strength of Beis Hillel's stringency? If going to say, and this is where I, what I wanted to get to before we dwelled on this. That really we want to focus on Beishamai because Kayach Tehatera of Adif, the strength of leniency is greater. Let's pause for a moment. Why? 
Why is it greater to be lenient than to be strict? You know why? Because anybody could be strict. If you don't know what you're talking about, you need to be strict. You need to be machmir. It's not hard to go through your life. It's not, I mean, I shouldn't say it's not hard, but it's not hard learning-wise to go through your life. That whenever, I'm not sure, I'll just be machmir. Is that what the Ebeshter wants? Is that what Akadosh Baruch Hu wants? That we shouldn't know anything and just always be machmir? No. We're not going to end up living like Yidin. Because there are certain things that Akadosh Baruch Hu wants us to do and we're not going to end up doing them because, oh, we're just in Suffolk, we're in doubt. Let's be machmir. If I learn something and I know it's allowed, that's being a bigger Eber Hashem than somebody, shouldn't say bigger Eber Hashem, I'm more learned now and doing the Ratzon Hashem in a way that somebody who is only, who, who's just confused can even do. That other person doesn't know. There's no, there, there's no godless to not knowing something and therefore being strict. If you don't know something and you're strict, okay, that you're, that you're doing the right thing. There's godless, okay, in the Hanami. But that, ultimately, we're supposed to know that it's allowed, if it is allowed, okay? Says the Gemara, and let them argue about both the chicken and the egg. Which is meant to raise eggs. He Then concerning both the chicken and the egg, Beishami Arm Beishami says that it's not Mukta. Ubisil Aimrim Laisayakal Basil is gonna say, Laisayakal, it is not allowed to be eaten. Okay? So now, did the Mishnah say that? Did the Mishnah talk about the chicken? No, the Mishnah did not talk about the chicken. Alright? And um, since the Mishnah did not talk about the chicken, um, we have no proof to Rav Nachman's approach that by uh, that there's a strong difference between Hilchah um, Shabbos and Hilchah Yom. Okay, fine. Elam rather Rabba says, we don't like the explanation. Now let's, rem- let's remind ourselves, what just happened? We started out with a question in the Gemara. All the way back. The Gemara started on Beis Amad Aleph. The Gemara says, um, Where was it? About five lines into the Gemara. Yeah, yeah, five, six lines into the Gemara. The Gemara had asked a question. And the Gemara says that we wanted to know if we're dealing with a chicken that's meant for chicken eating or, a chi- or one that's meant for, for eggs. Rav Nachman tried to prove that we're dealing with one that's going to produce eggs. And we just knocked that off. And we said, no, you have no proof to that. Okay, you have no proof that that's, that's the type of chicken we're dealing with. So we really need to now explain the Mishnah again. Um, what type of chicken are we talking about? When the, when the Mishnah says that when you have an egg that was born on Yom Tif, allows it, Beishamai doesn't, what's with the chicken? We still don't know. So that's what we're going to try to explain now. Elam Rather, Rabbah says, I'll explain what type of chicken we have. With a chicken that's meant for be eating. Now keep in mind, if the chicken is meant to be eating, is the chicken mukta? No. So should the egg be mukta? No. So what's the reason for Beis Hillel, who says that it's mukta? Okay. 
we're dealing with a yomtif that fell out after Shabbos. Yomtif started on Matzei Shabbos Sunday. Umishum achana. And Beis Hillel saying that the egg is going to be a problem because of Hachana. The Kasava Rabba, Hachana is preparing on one day for another day. U Kasava Rabba, and Rabba says, Kol Beitza, the Mesyalda Ha'idna Me'esmol Gamrala. Any egg that comes out of the hen today, you should know, came into existence yesterday, and the hen just sits on it for another few hours. So if you see an egg come out of a hen, you should realize it's not being nailad now. It's not being made today. It was really made yesterday. You just didn't see it till today. On the sixth day, they're going to bring the mon that was prepared. It teaches, let, lets us know that on regular Friday, you could prepare for Shabbos. But you can't prepare for Shabbos. And since, ready? Since the egg came out on Sunday, which is Yomtif, it was first made on Shabbos, the day before. And the reason why Basil says you can't use it is because it was Hachana. It was being prepared on Shabbos for Yomtif, and something that's Hachana on Shabbos for Yomtif is, is uh, not allowed to be used. Gewalt. Amalia, bye. Abai says to Rabba, one second. Elamiyata, but now, Yom according to what you're saying, beautiful question. According to what you're saying, when our Mishnah says, a beitza that comes out on Yom Tif, Beis Hillel says it's not allowed, that's only talking about a, a unique case where the egg came out on a Sunday Yom Tif and it was really made on Shabbos. But according to you, Rabbah, says Abaye, in any other case, an egg that comes out on Yom Tif is allowed. And I don't like that. Because why would you have a Mishnah that starts out, Beitzah, Shinolda, be Yom Tif, oh, it's a problem according to Beisillel. Oh, that's only in a weird, in a unique situation. Don't, don't write a blanket statement like it's always a problem. According to what you're saying, nine out of ten years, there's no problem. Answer the Gemara, says Rabbah, no, really? Any egg that's born on Yom Tif, you're, you're not allowed to have. Aye, it's a, it's a unique case. Oh, you're right. But because of that unique case, we were geyser, we make a decree that any time an egg comes out on Yom Tif, it's a problem. Says Abai, Shabbos to Alma Tishri. Okay, fine. Fine. But what about a regular Shabbos? I have now, you want to be strict about Yom Tovim and say because of the case where Yom Tov starts on Sunday and the egg really starts, therefore the egg started being made on Shabbos and it's Achonah, so you got a problem. And now once that's a problem, we'll make a decree to everywhere. All right, it's far-fetched, but you can give me an answer. What about on Shabbos? Why an, an egg that comes out on Shabbos? Why is that a problem? Says the Gemara. Because you can have a case where Yomtev falls out on Friday. Then, and the egg comes out on Shabbos. So then the egg comes out on Shabbos. You, have a, you still have a problem because the Hachana took place on Friday. Since you could have Friday into Shabbos, so we make a decree about every Shabbos. It says, 
Do we make such a decree? A person who shechts a chicken, and you find fully, uh, full-fledged eggs inside the chicken, not only are you allowed to eat the chicken, you're allowed to eat the eggs as well. But why? If it's taka true, that any egg that comes out in Yomtev is a problem because of Achana, let's make a decree that you can't even eat the eggs that are found inside the mother because if we allow that, people are going to start eating eggs that come outside after the mother, uh, you know, uh, in, in a regular case where the, where the hen lays the egg. That is such a rare, rare case. And things that are rare, things that are so rare, so rare, Hayyudim. Things that are so rare, yeah, very uncommon. There's no need for Xero. Rabbanon did not make a decree. All right? Period. Bottom line, according to Rabba's approach, and we didn't blow him out of the water. Rav Nachman's approach was kind of blown out of the water. Yeah, we disproved Rav Nachman. So Rabbah came along and he says, I'll tell you the problem. The problem of the egg is not a problem of Naila. It is not a problem of Naila, right? It's a problem of Hachan. That's the issue. And he's sticking to his guns. Okay? Fine. That's Rabbah's approach. Says the Gemara, another Mahalach, another approach possible to explain whether we're dealing with an egg, uh, uh, a, 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 a chicken that's meant for raising eggs or is a, a chicken that's meant for eating. The reason why an egg that comes out on Yom Tif could be a problem is because of, is because of a decree of Perais Hanayshar. Very interesting halacha, which is, Rashi explains, when you have a fruit that comes out of a tree on Yom Tif, so it's muktza. If a, fr- if a fruit was attached to a tree on Yom Tif and then came off, that fruit is muktza. Since an egg that comes out of a chicken is like a similar reality to an f- apple that falls off of a tree, says Rabbi Yosef, we make a decree. The same way you're not allowed to eat an apple that fell off of a tree, you can't eat an egg that fell off of a chicken. All right, that's Rabbi Yosef's approach. Not that it's nailad, not that it's achana. It's a new decree, a new concern the, the Rabbanon had. Amalei Abaye, Abaye, the beloved student of Rabbi Yisif, says to his Rebbe, Pere Sanei Shonim Tamimai. He says, I don't understand something. Rebbe, when fruit fall off a tree, what's the problem with the fruit? Let's turn to tomorrow's daf. Gzeir Hashem The only reason why a fruit that falls off a tree um, is muktzah is because we're concerned that if we allow you to eat fruits that fall off a tree, you might want another one and you might start going and plucking from the tree. But he goofed Zerah. The fruit itself is a decree. You're going to make a decree because of a decree? Meaning, you're going to say, oh, let's make a decree on the egg because of the fruit, which itself is a decree that you might come to pluck a fruit. We never do that. Says Abayit is Rabbi Rabbi Yosef. And Rabbi Yosef is Rabbi responds, no, Kula Chada Gezerahi. You're not allowed to eat an egg from a chicken. You're not allowed to eat a fruit that falls off a tree. Be- Both of those are the same decree. Not being a decree on a decree. Both of those are part of the same decree that if we allow that, people may go back and, and uh, p- 
pluck the original fruit. And Memela, according to Rabbi Yosef, what we're leaving off for this, we're going to stick with this with topic, Bez Hashem, as we continue tomorrow. But according to Rabbi Yosef's approach, the reason why, ready for this? The reason why you're not allowed to eat an egg that grows and comes out on Yom Tif is because if we allow it, a person may come to pluck a fruit from a tree. Might come to pluck a fruit from a tree. That's that's uh, that's Rabbi Yosef's approach. Okay, so so far we knocked off Rabbi Nachman. Um, we, we knocked off Rabbi Nachman. We do have the approach of Rabbah. We didn't uh, disprove Rabbah. Rabbah's approach that the problem of the egg, according to Bezil, is going to be a problem of Hachana. And we have the approach of Rabbi Yosef, who says the problem of the egg is if we allow you to eat an egg that comes out of a chicken, people may start taking fruits directly from a tree. You might take something that, you, you might think that it's allowed to take something that comes out of something and remove it directly from its source. Beautiful. We'll hold it here for today. We're up to uh, Rabbi Yitzchak Amar on the third line. And Bez Hashem, we will pick up from here uh, tomorrow at 12.15 on Erev Shabbos. Bez Hashem. Tomorrow, 12.15. Uh, Guten, almost Erev Shabbos. Have a wonderful, wonderful evening, everybody. And Mazel Tov on the start of the new Masechta.